Hello, and welcome back to It's Symbolic, where the work is defined by the reception. I'm Jacob Savage. I'm here. I am Ben. And we're live, I guess. We actually have people. <laughs> Did you have something you wanted to say? You got us all here, and we're, yeah, we're recording I, for some reason, so I it, figured it, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, I, I, I suppose. I mean, we've got episodes out now. Which, if you're listening, you can tell. I don't know where I was going with this, but, you know, we're on Podbean now. I don't think that really affects them, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's just sort of a note for us. Yeah, I Hope you I just enjoy wanted it. to take a moment to bask in the glory, okay? So That's few fine. things go right in this world. That's fine. Just, I think you, just, you've, you've earned it to me. Yeah. Would uh, you like to introduce what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, just for that, you're going to have to do it. Today we're talking oh, about LSD Dream Emulator. Okay, see, the funny thing is, uh, everyone calls it LSD Dream Emulator, right? Yeah. But in Japan, it's just called LSD, and the genre of the game is Dream Emulator, and also it didn't come out anywhere other than Japan. So I don't understand. I don't get how it ever got to be referred to as LSD Dream Emulator in to full To differentiate in the West. from that other LSD that the teens are all into these days. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess. Anyways, I, I suppose I've been granted permission to go ahead and take the lead here, as I am the biggest gamer. After yep. all, uh, uncontested uh, 10 years running. So, you know, when you think of games, uh, when you think of auteurs within the field of gaming, you know, they usually think of Hideo Kojima's with Metal Gear, or Will Wright's with the Sim series, but there's not that many cases, at least outside the realm of independent games, where someone has their hand in pretty much every aspect of the game from writing the music to creating the visuals to handling the game design but i thought the concept much... was i thought the concept was created by toby fox <sighs> someone anyways. had to say it anyways but that's exactly what osamu sato did with uh what i could most definitely consider a cult game uh lsd dream emulator so i know uh Jacob was definitely aware of this game prior to it being, uh, you know, brought up here. But Mira, were you? Wait, what? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Sorry. <laughs> well, anyways, were, were you familiar with the game before we decided to discuss it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, I don't think you while, played I... a video game. Uh, maybe not. Because <laughs> it's something that I've been aware of for probably a, a long time now. It was definitely sort of uh, a, a, a bit of a golden goose in that, well, it was literally extremely expensive and not many people got a hold of it. So it was just sort of, you know, well, I guess thanks to emulation, lots of people were able to experience it for themselves. But from a collector's perspective, it was, you know, from that very pesky legal standpoint. Out. Yeah, for a law-abiding citizen such as myself, rest assured, I didn't play it until it got its official digital release. So. It's a hard life, the sacrifices that you have to make. I know, I can't game to my full potential because of the fucking 
pigs bringing me down, you know? You hear me? Can't stop the signal. Uh, anyways, so one thing that probably stands out about the game right away is that Osamu Sato, who pretty much the, the key figure behind the game, he is definitely not a game developer. In fact, he's even said uh, on record that he thought that games were pretty much a thing for nerds and he wasn't interested in them because he didn't feel like he got anything out of them in return. Um, and that's that's pretty valid, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, but, you can't blame him. No, absolutely not. But uh, the background that he does come from, uh, from starters, he came from a family of photographers. Living in Kyoto, he was able to, you know, uh, live in a house that had a dark room, and his father was a photographer, so he had all the resources necessary to get, you know, a very early start into his artistic endeavors. And later on in life, he ended up falling for uh, music composition as well. Specifically, uh, there's this artist, I don't know if you guys know, called Yellow Magic Orchestra. It's, uh, I, I mostly know about them because they're very frequently cited as inspiration for a lot of uh, video game music composers. They, their music is very digital. One of their most popular songs is, call, is literally called Computer Game, and it's... <laughs> It, it, a lot of it consists of like electronic noises from games. Is it anything at all like that PlayStation song, that Eiffel sixty five? <laughs> the Eiffel sixty five song? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. There is no. They don't. They don't name any PlayStation games over the course of the song, as far as I'm aware. To be fair, um, Yellow Magic Orchestra sounds like it would have a movie that's a really bad jukebox musical <laughs> now they are they are very well regarded especially as pioneers in electronic music um part of the reason that he had a fascination with them was because a lot of the music that he listened to up until that point was imports from the west japanese music didn't really take off back in those days especially you know we talk about japanese rock or pop people didn't weren't drawn to it as much just because it wasn't as understandable or relatable, I suppose. To be fair, Whereas... he, according to Wikipedia, Yellow Magic Orchestra contributed to the development of electro, hip-hop, techno, and bleep techno, which just <laughs> yeah. further convinces me that the entire genre is just made up. <laughs> just put a bleep hey, in I... front of it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> As someone who is very involved in music games, I can assure you that I have seen... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm incapable of being surprised by musical genre names at this point. <laughs> so the idea was that because Japan's strength lied in technology and they were using, you know, Japanese keyboards and synthesizers to create their music, that in a way what they were creating was very uniquely Japanese, you know? And that in that respect, uh, they could have this Japanese material that propagates throughout the world by providing something that only Japan could. And I think that that's an idea that ended up really resonating with him. And you can see throughout the entirety of his body of work. Uh, if you look at most of his visual art, uh, especially, I guess, starting with like the late 80s or so, uh, when he was... So when he first got started uh, working on galleries and exhibitions and exhibits, this was during Japan's bubble period. So uh, while he, working period. on galleries and art wasn't... Oh, sorry. The bubble period? Oh, do I need to explain that? <laughs> you may need to. I... Yeah, so it's the we economic We're all just bubble, very but... big on bubble bobble at the moment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hey, well, 
if you want to know more, uh, play Yakuza Zero, available for uh, PC, uh, June twenty eighteen or July twenty eighteen, sometime soon. Uh, you didn't tell me you were being <laughs> sponsored. Go on. I'm always <laughs> sponsored. You just it's sometimes I'm more subtle about it than other times. Um, so the bubble period was basically this period of great uh, economic growth for Japan. People were, you know, extremely they could spend freely. There were people lived very lavish lifestyles, spent money on you know, lots of fancy things. And this just happened to line up with when Osamu Sato was getting started in business. So he had a very strong uh, financial reserve thanks to this economic period. So he could he could splurge a bit on technology for his art. He noted uh, at one point that he had to make a decision between getting a car and getting a computer. And he ended up getting a computer, you know, for working on his art. But he then, has the audacity know. to call gamers nerds. <laughs> but then soon after that, he made enough money to get the car as well anyways. So that should give you an idea of what sort of period we're talking about here. I mean, so just anything was like laser printed and it would just sell. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So it was because, you know, he, ha- he was able to make use of all this technology because Japan was in just, you know, such a period of growth and lavishness that you know, he could get all the, this new technology and utilize it in his art. So if you look at uh, a lot of his graphic art, it's all, it's very, I don't know how to describe it, but it's very geometric, geometric one. I oh. guess. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. In a way that feels very computer generated, you know, like there's a lot of, it feels like early 3D graphics a lot. That of way it. that it's, you can you only know. get in like the mid eighties or so. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's pretty much stayed on that track to this day, honestly, but that's, for another time if it ain't broke anyways uh <laughs> so his his art actually ended up being so well regarded that he won uh, a number of awards including a, a sony grand prix award which actually what led to uh him getting sony's attention so he had been working on uh art and music at this point and then he decided you know even though he wasn't interested in games he felt that games especially japanese games reached a very you know large worldwide audience and that he had the potential to share his ideas through that so using his influence that he gained with sony through winning this award he managed to convince them to both publish and localize his first video game which was called uh, eastern mind the lost souls of tongnu So, we'll definitely one, talk about it at a later date. This yeah. game is essentially, <laughs> but, uh, from what I can gather, you go through an island that looks like a man's head mm-hmm. in order to reclaim your soul, but you have to reincarnate like nine times to do it. Yeah, I think the important thing that you can to, to get from this, I don't want to linger on it too long, but just the title, you know, the Eastern Mind part, that part wasn't. That was exclusive to the localized version. I believe it's just called Tongnu in Japanese. The whole idea, the whole reason behind it taking place inside of his head is he wanted to convey that Eastern means of thinking through his game. He was raised in Kyoto. He worked for a TV station and got to work on a lot of reports and dealing with temples and, uh, you know, religion and spirituality. So that played a very large part in his lifestyle. And he wanted to be able to convey that to audiences abroad as well which the motifs show up a lot in his work both in terms mm-hmm. of like his early stuff his moderate anything more recent yeah, exactly. that he's done very big on 
both the not necessarily the buddhist concept but definitely the architecture and mm-hmm. he's noted his fascination with the japanese concept of the kami where there's a god for pretty much everything or at right. least a demon for pretty much everything well kami doesn't necessarily mean it's good you know oh true well, kami yokai i'm i'm just some idiot from the u.s please <laughs> defer to me thank you <laughs> So, moving on, um, I've sort of just been talking uh, at you guys for a bit. So, finally getting to what we're actually talking about, not the introduction time. That leads us to the game LSD, which he collaborated on with uh, developer Asmic Ace Entertainment, uh, based on... Asmic Ace, the creators of such highly lauded titles as Superboy Allen. Yeah, I don't think they're a particularly well-known developer. I think they're most well-known, like, original game series. They did a bunch of ports. Uh, but as far as original stuff goes, it was, like, Virtual Pro Wrestling, which I think is a wrestling series that didn't even come out here, so no one would know it. But um, so we worked with them. In particular, there was one uh, employee of the company. I don't know what exact role she had that uh, she had been keeping this dream diary for 10 years up until that point, and he was able to utilize that uh in the creation of the game itself in particular if you look at the dream diary there's a lot of stuff that does actually appear in the game there's a lot of literal names from the dream diary that are actually integrated into the game as well like i know uh one of the areas in the game is called the violence district or uh violence guy and it's actually mentioned by that name in the dream diary as well just funny because i was going to say there's a lot of things in the diary that don't show up i mean in tone i'd say it's similar but there's a lot that's not mentioned i mean presumably partially due to like graphical limitations yeah it's definitely definitely not exclusively based off of it but you can see the influence there exactly i mean there's one that's listed that starts with two huge guys who look like Mike Tyson are going into a restaurant and I'm secretly <laughs> taking pictures of them. We're on a top secret mission to get photographic evidence. <laughs> man, I was just reading that. I feel like, man, my dreams are fucking boring as hell. Like, I don't get anything like that. Which is why we've been blessed with the opportunity to emulate having these much more creative and interesting dreams through this fine product. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe she just so, lived a more exciting life than we do. Yeah, I, mean, I had stress dreams about appeasing my high school theater teacher until I was like 21. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my god, maybe that's some that's some uh, baggage we can vent out. <laughs> yeah, <every> day, but. <laughs> Jacob, yes? I don't believe you had played it yourself until we played it together prior to recording this. Is that right? No, I mean, I, I'd i seen some uh, the occasional gameplay video, and I was familiar with the game itself, but I had not actually undergone it. Okay, it so what are some impressions you got from it? That's a, I, I, that's a very English teacher question or something, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm basically doing a lesson plan here anyways, so precisely I will I will point out the motifs and what they represent. <laughs> but gold star for you. You know, I mean, 
We played about 20 days in-game, which is enough for things to start getting strange, but it's actually kind of a slow journey in the process. There are some areas, I think one of them is called the Fun District, which are wild from the get-go, but there are others that are just surprisingly mundane. That's mm-hmm. why I was wondering, like, the Dream Diary, you just expect, if it was based word for word, just, Dear Diary, today I ended up in the place with the pit again. God damn it, I hate that place. <laughs> there is nothing there. I didn't even get to see any elephants this time. The or- interesting thing about the, 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 the way that the game is set up and how you aren't necessarily guaranteed something interesting every time is that the game actually takes place in an interconnected world. Like, the dream that you play the game in is actually a world. You can choose to go somewhere if you want to, if you're familiar with it enough. There's a map you can find in one of the areas in the game that will help show you how you get different places. I think we did find it at one point, but it's so... Oh, I didn't didn't understand it at all. Yeah. So, with it being this big world, a lot of it's just empty. Like, there's this one big area in particular called, like, the natural world, I think, where there's really not that much that happens, and it just sort of serves as the main connection between all the different areas. But you do get sent there a decent amount as well. There's definitely a few commonalities. Like I said, you get accustomed to each individual map as you play. I think there's something like 14 distinct zones in the game. Something like that. I don't know if we went through all of them, but some of them, you would become familiar with the layout. Sometimes there would be something interesting. Sometimes the game would get odd on you. Yeah, it's it's interesting the way the game works, how there's a lot of it where as you play, it becomes less weird and nonsensical and begins to follow some sort of logic that you can, you know, then use to you know, get where you want to go or see what you want to see. But then there's also a lot of it that's just entirely random. Yeah, like exactly. There's certain things that you wanted to see. There's absolutely no way to guarantee you might be able to see it on some dreams. There's one place where I believe it starts you off at like a sumo wrestling ring where there may or may not be sumo wrestlers. And you can go into this maze of what looks like flesh. And without fail, there will be these little imps which may or may not be fetuses just partying and having a good time which is particularly striking (laughs) yeah dear diary definitely i ran into the fetus party again (laughs) but it's odd that at least from my perspective it's kind of odd that you know, while you have some of those elements that are so striking and so memorable and just so surreal, that there's a lot of it that's mundane or solvable as well. That I always have to wonder, like, what, what, what that means, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's some aspects of the game which I assume we'll get to that people still haven't figured out, but a lot of it has been broken down, either by yeah, a lot of it's looking at the source code or Samasato himself said that He's pretty sure that all of the secrets have been found. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was pretty striking how he himself didn't even try to make it out to be some, like, this game with, like, all this mystique to it that people will never figure out. He's like, 
he was pretty open about like, yeah, you know, I think people have seen most of what there is to it. There's even this one guy who's like recreating the game for Windows. So it's, yeah, it's, as he put it, like he shouldn't do that, but I'm I'm for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because uh, Osama Zato himself even uh, utilized footage of that remake in one of his videos oh. for uh, one of his songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't really view it as a yeah. game so much as an art piece. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, he used the word uh, "sakuhin," which is the same thing that you would use for any other sort of work that you create. That didn't really add anything to what was being said. I just sort of wanted to show off there. So, hope you were impressed. Mir, do you are you familiar enough with this to have particularly striking thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I know I posted some like a, a, a trailer and a commercial in the chat. I'm not sure if you got the opportunity to see, but I feel like that kind of gives some sort of an idea of like at least what the aesthetic is i did get the chance to watch those um and i had watched like some of fine sauce like stream a while back and <laughs> right that's like friends posting about that was kind of how i learned about this um mm-hmm. and i've been very interested ever since but like I've never gotten the opportunity to actually play it. I feel bad that now I'm sort of taking out all the mystique from it if you haven't tried it. Because it's like, it's definitely coming into it from a perspective of not knowing a whole lot and trying to piece together how things work. Because there's a lot of information that the game presents to you, especially uh, the graph which is used to chart your progress, which really doesn't make any sense. And Nobody's figured out. That's one of the aspects that people don't know. I mean, at the end of each individual dream, it is placed on a chart with two axes, one of which is upper or downer, and the other of which is static or dynamic. And these don't make any sense. Nobody's figured out the logic. I think, yeah, the best guess people have is that it's pretty random. (laughs) And apparently the chart even determines where you're going to start your next dream. Mm-hmm, that's right. It might have some influence on... Because the game uh, swaps out texture sets between... There's the default one, then there's one called Logic, which has uh, a bunch of uh, Japanese writing around. Uh, sexual, which has a lot of pictures, uh, like actual photos of uh, women on it. Oh, dear. And then uh, Downer, which has uh, is a bit more abstract... And I figured because it's one of them the was called Downer that had... Yeah, it's the creepypasta one. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So I figured there would be some, uh, you know, tie between that and the, the, the graph, too. But it's all not concrete. You can also switch between the individual... I believe we saw different skins on the same quote-unquote night yeah but how it actually changes and determines which one it draws from is still unknown as far as i can tell i mean i do think part of it is the algorithm that as you play more and more it gets progressively more intense and surreal Mm -hmm. to be fair we didn't really go too deep into it eventually you do get the ability to flash back and experience an abbreviated version of the dream i don't really know what that entails but yeah uh i've seen what it looks like it's basically just it automatically puts you at certain points where stuff actually happens like you know it might put you in the violence district and have the 
the the guy with the hat shoot you or it might have you you know teleport you to somewhere that the gray man is oh we haven't so even like, gotten it, into the gray man yeah so basically it just brings you into a vent it's like show me the good stuff there's even the more famous aspects like if you search for the game online you get picture after picture of like the it's like a hallway with a face at the end of it that you have to walk towards. We never encountered that during our playthrough, but it's mm-hmm. become sort of the face of the game. And then, really, the only plot to speak of is the Gray Man, in a sense. Yeah, kind of. If you know, if you can say that, I'm not necessarily sure if he has any more significance to any greater meaning than any other given entity within the dream but he is definitely one of the most recurring ones where every so often when you're playing uh this this gray figure will appear in front of you and move slowly towards you uh and as far as i understand if he catches you your progress on the graph is reset to the center i think and you lose the flashback option. Which is a headache, given how difficult it is to... Yeah, actually get anywhere on the graph. It's kind of creepy, because he's also, like, the only thing that can appear anywhere. Everything else mm-hmm. is set to its own district. But you can run into the gray man at any time, any place. And then he says your name and starts bleeding photorealistic blood. <laughs> I've definitely seen some YouTube thumbnails that try to make the game out as this sort of thing, but I really, I, I definitely don't think that was the intent. Oh, I, I'm sure that's, to be honest, the game sort of promotes itself as this oddity, sort of. Yeah, I don't. It's sort of a surreal well, trip I feel like through it the doesn't mind. Necessarily, yeah, well, exactly. I don't feel like it promotes itself as anything that's more frightening or strange than what, you know, the human mind might actually produce in, you know. It's sleeping state. I feel like uh, Osamu Sato's means of trying to convey a way of thinking or the way that one's mind operates. You know, if you're talking about how one's mind operates in the context of sleep, nightmares are just a natural component of that. And apparently so are several miniaturized versions of popular landmarks. Evidently. (laughs) Which, Which will sometimes get plastered in odd ways. Anything else about the, the, the game itself before we try to move on to its legacy? I mean, we do also have to talk about, for one, the title, LSD, which... Yeah, because, I mean, the game leads you to believe... Well, I shouldn't say it leads you to believe. The game offers a number of different meanings for the LSD acronym. I believe each of the game's intros actually gives you a different meaning like, for LSD. Like, in life, the sensuous but... dream... Like Logic the Sensible Dream or something like that. And the official title yeah. of the Dream Diary the dream... is Lovely Sweet <laughs> Dream. Right. But, you know, the fact of the matter is it was actually named after the hallucinogenic. Make no mistake. Yeah, I, That's I'm sure. That's got his name. I mean, that, they, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> he said so. He said, like, you know, oh, yeah, LSD is like the same things that the Beatles used. <laughs> yeah. In the same vein, everyone talks about the graphics and appearance of the game but there's also the music which has its own 
interesting thing, given Music that... Music is an extremely large component of the game. From the second that you boot the game, you know, there's, I believe, like seven or nine different intros, each with a different remix of one of Osamu Sato's uh works the main theme for the game done by uh uh one an international musician so you know you'll have one that's uh just ambient like what sato's work himself would have been you have some that are like jungle or you know it, it covers a variety of different crowds when you get into the game itself uh all the music was composed by sato uh and i believe each area of the game has i think 40 different tracks that can play something like that it's a pretty ridiculously massive amount of music not all of it's necessarily pleasant to listen to, but it's there. Yeah, according to the interviews he's done, he created about 500 different musical patterns, mm-hmm. which he felt better fit the product than individual songs would. Right. Plus, I don't really... It'd be hard to compose individual tracks for, you know... Especially for a game designed for to stage. Yeah. break down more as it goes on. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Combined with the player's very audible and kind of annoying footsteps, it's, yes, it's not necessarily a pleasant probably, auditory experience. Yeah, I was going to say, I would describe it as a bit of an abrasive game, audially. <laughs> Which, I will state that most of his work is not abrasive. Most of his music is nice, and I can recommend it yeah. if it's your sort of thing. I, I listened to his album, All Things Must Be Equal, and mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's, it's the sort of thing where it's probably your mileage may vary, but you know, if if you can see yourself enjoying something more on the ambient side. I believe he describes it as environmental music, literally. Then give it a shot. It's out there. Yeah, he sort of went out of his way on this one to create something more, or less palatable. Palatable? Is mm-hmm. that... I, right. I, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Should I move on to Legacy sure. now? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I don't have any exact numbers as far as how the game actually did i can't imagine it necessarily did great the advertising was pretty limited i've only ever actually seen uh one commercial and some features in magazines and it's just sort of something that's hard to understand too so it was a bit of you know it sort of faded away for a bit i would say if it was ever there in the first place but then i would say around the late 2000s or so i don't know exactly what it is that kickstarted interest in this game again Mm. But if it's just by, you know, the way that people can distribute... Uh, to be fair, I think uh, one of the mm-hmm. big ones was actually an article from Cracked, which placed it as, you know, one of the one of their typical weirdest Japanese games ever made thing, because <laughs> Cracked will let literally That's anybody cracked. write an article. <laughs> That's Cracked. Uh, 
So whatever the, 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 the cause was, interest in the game had started to build by, you know, the second half of the early 2000s, but there wasn't really a, a, a good way to play it. Copies of the game, as far as I could tell, were pretty difficult to come by, and as such, they commanded some pretty serious prices. Yeah, and if you got it, you sent it to a Let's Player. <laughs> pretty much. Well, hopefully not, actually, <laughs> now that I think about that. I mean, it, it got a reputation for Let's Players. Because oh, yeah, absolutely. Their love of... And... Was this on drugs games? <laughs> and with the advent of YouTube, people who did have their hands on a copy of the game, or, you know, got a hold of it via an emulator, uh, you know, were able to, to, to spread it more easily. And it's certainly a sort of a game that leaves a strong impression. Yeah. So it gained a lot of interest through that. It is admittedly a game that you can easily live vicariously through watching someone else play. Yeah, absolutely. You can't exactly backseat game so, LSD Dream Emulator. So with the PS3 out and Sony able to distribute games digitally then, uh, LSD did finally get an official digital release from Sony uh, in 2010, I believe, on the PlayStation Store, which was kind of late for a PlayStation Network game, but LSD was certainly a unique case where it wasn't a popular pick, but it was one that was in very high demand. I remember Sato himself was surprised that they ever released it on there, because he said he thought that they only put popular games on there. <laughs> so, nowadays, it's pretty readily available legally. It's not too hard to go make a Japanese account on PlayStation Network and experience it for yourself for the low price of, like, six bucks or something like that which is a far cry from like the 300 it commands on ebay yeah, i mean you won't be able to read the instruction manual but well maybe you won't yeah we're we're speaking to the everyman not <laughs> the everyman listening to an english language podcast doesn't necessarily know japanese fine <laughs> now for for law-abiding citizens like myself we can much more easily appreciate Osamu Sato's work uh, on LSD because of its newfound availability. And as such, it's gained uh, Sato himself a lot of new fans that way. Uh, as I mentioned before, technology has always been a pretty key component of his work and how he propagates it. So he's had a pretty large presence on social media and on the internet in general for a while now. You can find a lot of his work there. And because people have been able to discover all of this additional work of his after taking interest in LSD, he's gotten himself a pretty serious fan base now. Uh, you know, I remember in some of my research, I saw he has uh, a Discord group dedicated to his work. He has a subreddit. And there's it's certainly a very deep well if the aesthetic of LSD uh, appeals to you. I have read that most of his other video games, he made five, actually. And three of them, uh, I believe, yeah, are considered five. lost. Uh, okay, so he actually made... Yeah, he made five games. It was the sequel to Eastern Mind called Chuteng that was believed to have been lost for ah, a very right. long time uh, that even Sato himself didn't own a copy. And this was uh, after uh, LSD had become popular and he gained himself something of a cult following that because him and you know his fans were able to... I guess he didn't really make much noise, but because his fans were able to make noise and find someone who just happened to have a copy of it sitting in their attic, I believe, <laughs> that now the game is readily, av well, it's not readily available, but it's out there, you know. Ch the, it's odd. You can 
find a copy of it online. Especially given how new the video game industry is in comparison. You don't get stories like this as often. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the rest of his games, though, some of them are kind of expensive. Like, LSD, you can pretty consistently find a copy on eBay, and it'll run you for a lot, but they'll pretty much always be there. But True Town was just it was just gone. Nobody had any idea. Nobody thought they could find it. And then let's see. If I might talk about some of his other games for a brief oh, second, sure. uh, he had two other games after LSD. They weren't handled by Sony. <laughs> uh, they were all uh, you know, developed and published by Asmic at that point. Uh, one of which, called Tokyo Wakuse Planet Tokyo, uh, is an adventure game, which... It's not quite the same sort of adventure game as Eastern Mind. It's a lot less abstract. It still has a very distinct Osamu Sato style in all of his character designs, but literally it's like it takes place in this futuristic version of Tokyo where you go to like planet Akihabara and stuff like that. And, you know, people look like people and buildings look like buildings, but... Uh, it's not to say they didn't honestly, in LSD, but with better graphics <laughs> this time. And I hadn't really known about this until I did some research for this. And it kind of totally looks like my bag, so I'll probably be checking that out later. And then the last game that he worked on was called uh, Rhythm and Face, which is this rhythm game where you follow prompts uh, to recreate uh, these these faces, I guess, which are also very much in Osamu Sato's style. Like, it literally just looks like the sort of faces you would see in the intro to LSD or in any of one of his other works. Looking at his Wikipedia page or whatever, you would think that he hasn't really done a whole lot since then, but he has still remained pretty active. You just have to remember, like, a lot of what he does are work for galleries or, you know. I mean, he's not the only music. thing. This seems to be much more prominent with Japanese artists than Americans that dabble in the video game industry. Yeah, it's important to remember he is not a game designer. <laughs> It's just a thing that he happened to do. He just one day decided to make a game. I can pull the strings on those saps at Sony who think I'm some kind of artist. <laughs> to be fair, I wouldn't be surprised if we visit his work later on. I would love to. I really don't know much about any of his other stuff too in depth, but yeah, I mean, I definitely want to take a closer look at this point. Just the idea of conveying a mindset through a game is really interesting to me. It's not really a perspective through which I thought of, you know, an interactive medium like this, that the way that it can sort of serve as a way to interpret the player's uh, inputs or, you know, whatever their thoughts are and how they, uh, you know, input that into the game and then in return provide some sort of, you know, visual or audio stimuli to, you know, literally emulate this this way of thinking. It's, it's interesting. It's definitely a unique aspect of games. It, it's sort of game that you see brought up during that old conversation of whether or not video games are art. It's like yeah. this Nobi Nobi Boy and that game where you play as the wind. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that argument is very much centric or that argument is very much centered around 
how much does this game resemble, or like how much do games resemble a medium that is widely considered art? Like, oh, like a David Cage game, it plays like a movie, so that makes it art because movies are art. But are they? This has a very unique argument in that it helps convey a way of thinking, which is something that's pretty interesting and profound, in my opinion. As an artist myself, I'm like very interested in what this game is doing and i definitely want to seek out like sato's other work not just in games or music but just in general yeah i always take particular interest in mediums where you can really i guess feel what sort of person the artist is or get you know a feeling for what they're into or how they think like that just adding that human aspect of art to things makes them that much more interesting i think so how i I do feel like the closest thing i have seen in modern times is just the more intentionally absurdist stuff like arcane kids like the Mm -hmm. bubsy visits the james terrell retrospective (laughs) right yeah i get what you're saying and I think that LSD is a very different breed than something like that. Yeah, but I you know, I can't. I really can't think of any other instance. I, I've spoken about my fondness really... for like casual psychedelia. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't mean to discredit something that just yeah, yeah I know, you know, I know, revels I know. in its surrealism. But just the concept of having a game that conveys a way of thinking is something that I don't think anyone else has really attempted, as far as I'm aware. Like, you know, there's lots of games that tell very personal stories or that you can really feel the artist in them, but none have been so direct as to try to emulate one's mind. Or so in-depth in this way. In the same vein, just taking advantage of the workings of the game's nature, like the glitch as a gameplay mechanic. Yeah, it's. I think LSD very clearly comes from... It's very evident that it comes from a person who doesn't really have a lot of interest in games or isn't a traditional you know, game developer. And for in that respect, he was able to create something that was really unique. And I think it's no surprise that beyond just the first impression people get of LSD as being something that just, you know, oh, it's weird for the sake of being weird, that people who dug into it a bit further have found Osamu Sato's work to be so, like, intoxicating and fascinating, I guess, just because it runs so deep. Same sense. You have to be there for it, since, as I said, the game starts out very slow, but if you're willing to put in the time and see what exactly they're going for. Yeah, I think you can get a lot out of it, actually. I I was honestly kind of cynical at first when it felt like things were going very slowly. But I get it now, and I feel so much more enriched as a person for it. That's LSD. I wholly recommend that you try it out if you get the chance. Thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. If you have a suggestion for something for us to cover, you can find us on Twitter at It's Symbolic PC. Or you can hit up our email, it's symbolicpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jacob. I'm here. I'm Ben. Join us next time where we show you what Halloween, a lost cat, and Jesus Christ have in common. Nope, got nothing. Trying to think of something funny, didn't come to me. (laughs) I mean, I I gave you the materials right there. I, I know, I know. When I